Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company is or how big the team. We showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exployant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. If you're one of the 97% of sales leaders that have a sales process but don't have a structured one-on-one coaching process, check out Exvoyant today. The Exvoyant team will show you how your one-on-ones with each rep can drive purpose-driven activities in a way that change careers and your organization almost immediately. If you don't have a plan on how you can help every single rep on your team improve by at least 10% this year, Exvoyant can help you grow faster than you ever thought possible. We appreciate each of our listeners and are committed to introducing you to the most innovative, most successful sales leaders in the world. If you like what you hear, please keep those reviews coming on your favorite podcast sites. Your reviews make it easier for more people to find this show and be introduced to those sales success blueprints that have helped so many. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth tactics and practices. Today, we are joined by Jason Santana, Senior Director of Sales Strategy and Operations for Paychex. Jason is responsible for equipping 3,000 salespeople and 400 sales leaders with the tools they need to drive the growth of North America's leading provider of payroll, human resource, and benefits outsourcing services for small to medium-sized businesses. Paychex serves approximately 650,000 payroll clients across more than 100 locations and pays one out of every 12 American private sector employees. Jason, I am so excited to have you on our show. Welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Rob. I'm uh, very excited to be here, actually honored to be here, and I look forward to the discussion. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Jason and I, uh, uh, for our listeners, we've had a chance to meet just through being at the right kind of places. We're, we're both sales nerds, sales nuts, and I'm super impressed with your story and what you've done uh, with a really big organization. In fact, I've told you this before, Jason, and I want to start our conversation today with the, with our listeners. I, I believe Paychex is the Ron Burgundy of the payroll world. You're kind of a big deal, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, could you just share a little bit about your about the Paychex uh, story for our listeners, uh, just so they understand where you fit and, and, and just how important your organization is to American business? Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things that it's, a, it's an interesting story, because when you think of payroll in general, right, um, you know, there's a, there's there's, you know, you think of two companies, right? You think of you think of the red team and the blue team. And that's how it's been for a really long time. And I think Paychex came along at a time where American businesses really needed um, and, and the, the American small business really needed uh, support and help. And that was the backbone of, 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 the, of the service model that Paychex came in and, and then took on, which was high touch service to the small business markets, uh, you know, and American businesses. And they've done a phenomenal job over 48 years, you know, growing that business. And, um, you know, now we're $3 billion plus, 
Fortune 500 provider of you know, human capital solutions to small and mid-sized business segments. Everything from do-it-yourself payroll all the way to full-service human capital management, retirement plans, insurance solutions, um, all of the things that our, our small business and our, our small to mid-sized businesses, they need. <clears throat> Yeah, that's that's a great story, and, and I love what you're doing because as a person who's founded a company, I can tell you having someone who doesn't screw that up allows these small to medium-sized business people to actually focus on their business and be good at what they do. So as, as someone who's in that market space that you serve, uh, you're, you're absolutely solving a, a massive problem for them. Um, your story, though, individually is, is equally interesting to me, Jason. Your career story... Uh, what got you into sales? What got you to paychecks? One of the things our listeners always love is when we have great sales leaders like you on, they always ask me, can you have them share their story a little bit? What what got you into sales and ultimately, how'd you end up at paychecks? Sure. Yeah, it, I, I think I took a different path than most people into uh, my first sales role. I started my career as a, as a data scientist, um, really spending time doing quantitative analytics in finance and ultimately into into, into HR and then moving into management consulting. So taking that path um, is not usually the path people go into sales, but as a management consultant, attending a few sales calls, seeing how the sales rep kind of built the value, built the rapport, um, and, and, and drove revenue for, my, uh, for the company was something that intrigued me immediately. And um, at that point, I decided that I was going to end my career as a management consultant and start at the bottom um, you know, selling payroll, uh, ironic enough, uh, ironically enough, walked into uh, an interview in a payroll company. And, um, after about five minutes of a conversation was moved, was taken from that meeting and brought and introduced to the head of a new division that was selling, uh, human capital, human capital management solutions, not just payroll, more of the value added types of things that businesses need, uh, natural fit coming from management consulting. Um, they took a chance on me and it's kind of been, uh, a crazy ride ever since. Wow, that's that is cool. So now let's let's dig into that. Now you've given me a couple of things. You started as a data scientist. Um, you, you're working for one of the big organizations. I actually want to go back to your roots, data science, and and uh, being a data scientist, and, and you saw a lot of things there. How has that background helped you um, as you now are a sales leader running the show for a pretty big organization? Has that helped you in, in any ways that you can point to? It has, yeah. Um, so in, interestingly enough, the the background in data science, uh, it lays a foundation for everything. Uh, understanding data and being able to interpret trend, being able to, I, I like to say, see around corners before most others, um, that's all based in data. Um, you know, data, in my opinion, is used to reinforce intuition. So as sales leaders, we're really good at gut there's a lot of gut feel out there, um, but you need data and you need, you need to really hone the skill of data interpretation to reinforce your gut because making decisions on gut alone are, is not the way that we're going to grow businesses going forward. There is a lot more data available. Algorithmic leadership is really coming as the, the trend and that algorithmic leadership is really what reinforces the gut. All right. So now you're going into an interest. So I want to learn more. How do you see around corners? I'm interested in that. You're going to, you will have just peaked a few uh, eyebrows have just gone up. How do you do that? And I, and I want to get into sure. it, but it, it drives a question for me. Um, as a sales leader, and we work with sales leaders in 19 countries around the world, how do you balance mm -hmm. connecting with data versus connecting with people? Because 
reps don't want to just be a number. And the yep. relationship that a leader has with the rep, in my mind, is the most strategic tool that we have because it, it actually touches, in my opinion, almost everything. Um, mm -hmm. How do you connect with people and not just data? How do you balance that? Yeah, so it's it's interesting. It's, it's, it's you know, I think I, I look at when I ran sales teams, ran sales organizations, and now running a large-scale sales operations and sales strategy group, um, it's, it's, you know, it's one of the greatest things you can do as a leader to teach others how to leverage data to help improve their performance. So I think that to me is, is where you make the connection. It's taking the time to, to really walk people through, you know, how, how the cause and effect relationship of data to performance really, you know, how that, how, how to, how to make that connection. So it's, it's really putting out, you know, putting out there and explaining to someone, you know, these types of behaviors and the data and the, and the metrics and the KPIs that we have established, um, you know, these things are in place for this reason. And, and these data are taking you from point or showing that your transition from point A to point B, um, you know, is occurring at, at this rate, whatever it might be. And if you're able to show them, hey, if you actually make small changes um, at different points of inflection in, in your sales process based on what we're seeing here, um, you're, you, you can exponentially increase your results. So being able to interpret the data, but then being able to walk someone through why it matters, I think is, is the key. So Jason, I get all of that. I get what you're saying. My question is, um, when you have someone that leans towards data, cause we, we really have built all these tools, you know, we're, we're dashboard driven, we're spreadsheet driven and, is there a way, is there any best practices that you can give to our listeners on how not to just be a spreadsheet leader or just a dashboard leader, but, but be able to have that rich relationship with the individual so they feel like you get them and you're tying into their aspirations? Any tips along the way that you can have to keep people from becoming more robotic and losing that personal touch? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, the, you have to pick things that are relevant, you know? Um, and what I mean by that is, is, is everyone has their, first and foremost, you need to tie their, their personal goals to, to the organizational goals. Like that's just a, you know, management 101, you know, you want to get to this point in your life, whatever it might be, whatever your goal is. And then, and then tying your, their, their performance to that. Um, and, and that is, if, you know, if you want to buy a house, it's okay. We, you know, then you need to do these things in order to earn the income you need to do that. Um, but I also think from a, from a, from a data perspective, and it's really understanding, um, you need to understand where are the points of frustration and congestion in your sales process, mm -hmm. right? Cause there, there, there will be, there will be differences for every particular individual, but those differences are typically based off of skill set, um, and ability perhaps. Um, but there are some, there are typically common thread congest points of congestion and common thread points of breakdown and frustration within your sales process. So understanding kind of what those are, building your KPIs, um, you know, that, that are, that are relevant to, to, to driving productivity and, and, and growth. You know, it, it's, it's focusing on the things that matter. Um, I think that, that, that'll help, you know, make that connection. That makes tons of sense. So now you've opened up another one that I knew we were going to go here. You mentioned process. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. I know you're, I know you're really process driven. It's one of the things I like a lot about you. Um, so this is going to lead to how do you do things at scale, I think. But I want to start with 
you watched, you talked about sales process and then you talked about every individual has different strengths and weaknesses inside that process. I, I love that. I get that. I think a lot of leaders probably don't know how to handle that. H- how do you have the one-on-one? Like, do you have a coaching process? Do you have a process that makes, helps each leader operationalize the sales process at an individual level? How do you do that? Because here, let me just tell you why I asked. I don't know if you know Jim Dickey. Jim Dickey is uh, from CSO Insights, does a lot of research. I was talking to Jim. He, he shared with me that over 90% of l- large orgs, they have what they call a sales process, whether or not they've operationalized it. Another question, another, another podcast, right? But he found less than 3% of organizations had a structured kind of process for the leaders to operationalize that. And those that did were far more effective than those that didn't. That's my question. How, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you have the leaders really individualize the sales process? Yeah. So it's, it's, um, when it comes to process, I think it, it process needs to be foundational. Um, and, and, and the foundational process needs to be consistent across the board. So if, if you have, and, and that I'm talking break boiling things down to, the, you know, the, the basics, you know, every sales process starts with, with a call and every sales process ends with either a sales win or a sales loss. Yep. Right. So your, your process would, you know, the things that happen in between, um, as long as they're consistent, because the, the one thing that always happens with, with any type of sales process or any type of, um, a, a anything to do with, um, you know, uh, you know, sales process or sales methodology, it, it, consistency is the key. Right. And, and if you get, if you want to drive adoption, you need consistency. So establishing that foundational consistency is the first step. And once you've established foundational consistency, you then, you then establish your, your metrics, your KPIs to, to, to drive the behaviors you want through the different stages of your sales process. And that's really where, um, you, you, you really can start to help people and start to identify areas of weakness and areas of development. Because what you do is you measure you're able to measure their conversion through stages of sale and you need to, and then you can establish, okay, what are the thresholds or the behaviors um, that are required to drive a conversion from point A to point B. And once you understand that, you can see, okay, well, where are my people breaking down? They're going to break down at all different points. Some people are better at cold calling. You know, some people are better at closing. Some people are better at, you know, you know, doing a needs analysis, whatever it might be. There, there will be, that's how you, that's the rest of the recipe, I guess. Yeah, I like that. That's, that's, that's a really good way of looking at it. So now I, I see what you're saying. We're looking for those individuals where they break down that kind of lowest common denominator for each rep, no matter where it is. And it doesn't mean they're doing something wrong. It's just, where's that opportunity for the easiest way to improve? How do you do that without it taking a ton of time for a leader? I mean, is, is there, is there a, any best practices? I'm trying to put myself into the seats of the sure. listeners listening to you. They say, okay, Jason, how do I do that without taking like two hours a day or whatever to figure all those things out? Any, any best practices? Yeah. I mean, you know, best practice would be to, you know, to, to get yourself a, a you know, CRM <laughs> and start yeah. to manage those, manage those behaviors. And manage those, those, uh, you know, and build out a, a standardized process for your, um, you know, for managing your deal stages and understanding, you know, how people are converting in. And, you know, the thing is, this is where it gets kind of tricky because, you know, I always hear the same thing from people. Oh, adoption of the, of the CRM is terrible or adoption of whatever process just isn't, isn't great. Well, I mean, typically when I hear that, it's because you have an associated, um, uh, critical value, right? If you have an associated critical value, 
Um, and, and there's no urgency to do those things, right? Cause they don't see the value in doing it. Well, of course, you're not going to have adoption because salespeople, as much as we want to, uh, wish they, they were different and maybe in some instances they are. I'm not going to generalize, but tend, they tend to do the things that yield them results, whether it's money or, or what it might be or success, right? So, so I think, um, you have to look at it. And, and if you're not able to translate it into this is why we need you to do this. Um, you're not going to get the adoption that you need and you're not going to get the data you need to have the informed conversations that they need. All right. So you just brought up another one. I love how you're sequencing these things together because you're giving me all kinds of things I want to talk to you about. And any one of these I could go really deep on and I'm sensitive to our time because I don't want to just go sure. one place because our listeners are going to love this uh, this conversation. But Jason, now now you're giving me another one. So you just said that you understand salespeople, you know, they're going to do what helps them win. And a lot of people confuse that as though they're just selfish. No, I think because again, I'm like you. I sold. I, I identify with salespeople. I think sales is the greatest profession in the world. You know, salespeople have tons of pressure, and we just want to win. And for whatever mm-hmm. reason, you know, I don't know anybody that wakes up in the morning wanting to suck. Fair to say? Yeah. Okay. So here's what I found. As sales has been blowing up as this more legitimized profession, lots of schools you can get a sales degree in now. Um, you know, a lot of people coming and saying, I want to be a professional salespeople. What that's done is it's led to a lot like sales operations has blown up. Sales and emer- sales enablement has like emerged in just like the last few years. Right. And um, mm-hmm. what's happened is I see a lot of people wanting to lead sales teams, enable sales teams, operationalize sales teams, but they have never carried the bag. And many times I see it create a disconnect because they don't have that ability to connect like what you said. I understand what makes salespeople willing to change. How important has your history as a person who actually sold, how important has that been in your success at someplace like Paychex? So it's, I mean, in, in the role I'm in today, I think it's, it's been absolutely critical. Um, as a sales leader, you know, it's, it's really interesting. The, the further away you get from line leadership, um, you know, technically the less hands-on experience you need in the specific solution or whatever it is. But the irony is obviously things change as you, as you evolve. So, you know, uh, you know, when you go from being a line leader to a leader of leaders to a leader of leaders of leaders, you know, and you go through those different transitions of leadership, things do change. Um, and you, you know, the day-to-day involvement, um, that changes. But the one thing that doesn't change is, is you have a, you have a, you have a, a, a knowledge of what they're going through. And I think that is the, that is the one thing that doesn't change um, is that you, you're able to see, okay, these are the things that are frustration for a rep. And this is why it's frustrating. These are the things that are frustrating um, in, in a sales process to even a prospect, because I've been there, I've seen the frustration on their face in our sales process. Um, and then ultimately it's, you know, these are the things that they truly care about and how can we make them better? Um, I think that, so that's the one common thing that never changes is you, you've, you've been there. So you, you, you can, you know, you don't, you don't have to empathize. You can sympathize. That is a great drop. You don't have to empathize. You can sympathize. I think that's the massive thing because if you haven't carried the bag, you just don't know what the pressure feels like. Is that a fair thing to say, Jason? It's, It's very fair. And I think it's also one of those things where, um, it's, it's really, it's, it's very interesting. You know, I remember my first line leader role, um, you know, the one advice I got going into it was don't 
don't walk in the door and expect them to do things you never did. Oh, that's and I think so that's a really, yeah, yeah. It, it was a very, very great, it was a great piece of advice. Will you say that again? Just, I want to make sure that everyone hears that because some people are working <laughs> out, people are working out right now or they're driving to work. I want to give that to them one more time. I think that is just a bomb. That's so important. Can you give us that one more time? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's um, you know, I was told, you know, it, it's, it's, Never ask, you know, especially line leader, right? Line leader role and you're walking in the door. Never ask people to do things that you've never done. And I think there is a time and place for that. Um, and the way that you communicate that to your team is, 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 you know, um, you, you, is through your own development and your own kind of advancement of, Oh, now I understand why. But for coming in the door, you never, never walk in and say, I, I expect you to do all of these things. And then they look at you and say, well, you never did it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's so true. Now, now I want to flip the coin now for a second. So mm -hmm. there may be a lot of people that are in enablement or whatever that are listening to this or are in your role at a different company that are trying to operationalize leaders. And they say, well, fair enough, Jason. And you were willing to move back after you left your data science. You said, I'll start at the bottom and I'll sell. And now you're doing this. I can't do that, and I'm in a role and I haven't sold. So if you're someone who's in one of these roles and they actually haven't carried a bag, any tips to those people on how they can be more successful connecting with the salesperson if they can't sell? Yeah, yeah, this is one of those things where I, I, I'm kind of, uh, you know, I, I don't, I, I truly believe that um, you can develop this muscle um, or at least you can, you, can, you can understand this world by taking time to experience it yourself. So what I, what I tend to do is in people who have, who've not actually sold, um, that the, you know, part of their development plan is to get out in the field with reps, get out in the field with reps, get on the phone with reps, experience their life, go in the field. You don't necessarily need to carry a bag. You can ride a shotgun. You can sit there. You could observe, you know, you can, you can add some, some salient points of, of wisdom. Uh, if you need to, but at the end of the day, you need to actually go out and experience a day in the life yeah. um, and do it more than once. That's such good advice. And you know, it always, it's, it's interesting to me that more people in this role don't just naturally want to do that. I, I found that those that do, it's not just that they learn stuff. I found that it gets them the respect of the people on the team much faster when they see that they're willing to take the time to go, spend some time in their shoes. I mean, any thoughts around just if that gets you respect as well, not just knowledge? It does. And I think it gets you a lot of respect because people, the, the one thing that I tend to hear, and this is why, you know, maybe I travel, <laughs> maybe I travel more than most people in my type of a role um, because getting out and seeing people and getting out in front of them um, and taking the time to, to, to hear what they have to say in my role is critical, but, but if you're in a so more of a support or sales sales operations or sales effectiveness or sales enablement role, getting out there and like because you can sit there from your your glass tower and we could push things out all day long, um, but getting out there and actually seeing it will change their perspective, and it'll also change the perspective of the sales reps who you're trying to get to do these things because you're out there seeing it and experiencing it and you've taken the time to come see them. And, and now you. And now you're not an enigma anymore. You're not this person we've heard about. Yeah. Uh, you know, I love hearing you say this because I have a leader that works with us that has a smaller team. It's nothing like what you're doing, but it's 50 people. 
And he asked me as he is relatively new to the role, he's like, what would you do if you're in my shoes? I said, honestly, with 50 people, I'd make it a goal to be on a call or listen to a call or something engaged with each of those 50 as fast as you can. So you're not an enigma. Yeah. So that size, you can do that. There's no reason you should be someone in that glass tower. And I think that you're dead on with that. I think that the salespeople of the world, very many times they say what you just said never to do. You know, they've never asked me to do it. You know, why are they asking me to do stuff? They don't even know what I'm trying to do. I mean, I think that's such good advice, Jason. And if the leaders can be more connected to the team rather than be more concerned about managing to the team, I have to think uh, lots more improvement can follow as a result. Yes, I agree. All right, I want to go back to where I thought I was going to start. I can't believe we're starting to run out of time. I'm mad at myself, but I knew it was going to happen with you. you got so much depth. and But there's something I really wanted to hit with you because it's not it's – not, very many you're in rare air with 3000 reps and 400 leaders. Okay. How do you, how do you have intentional growth with a team this big? How do you avoid the herding cats mentality? How do, how do you create it intentional? Because in your world, I mean, you as a public traded company, you have to be intentional about your growth. Any best practices on, on how you have a large org have scale and growth in an intentional way? Yeah, it's, um, I, I think it's, it goes back to process, you know, um, I, I think, and this is where, you know, I've, I've been, uh, I've worked with startups before I've, I've been in, you know, major fortune 500 companies, uh, own my own company at one time. I, th- I think the, um, the one thing that I would say is critical is, is, is process and at the bigger, the more you, you know, and becoming kind of, and, and in order to become a master of scale, right, you have to be able to take process and, and, and not, and drive accountability. And I think that's one of the biggest changes, um, as you kind of move through kind of company sizes, because the thing is this, the more people you have, the more complex it becomes. Right. Um, the, the, you know, and the only way the, the saving grace has to be process, foundational process, um, that is a, a relevant foundational process, right? It, it, like we, we said before, you need to be relevant, but it needs to be, and, and it needs to be consistent. So I think, so in order to drive intentional growth, um, you know, you need to do those types of things and also remove roadblocks to success mm. and provide and provide tools, technology and information that's going to help people win more. Those are the those are kind of the, the, the things that I usually focus on. So do you find that um, how important does that make these leaders? Because I got to think that these are nodes getting those 400 leaders to be consistent is got to be your go to to have consistency on the customer experience with 3000 reps is is is. Am I right? Am I looking at that wrong? I mean, how important does that team of leaders become for you? It's critical. And I think people always wonder. Um, I know when I was a sales rep, I would always say, gosh, they always do all this development stuff for leaders. Everything is for the leaders. You know, um, the leaders get to go to these cool conventions and things like that. So I saw that was my mentality. I didn't know any better. Um, as I as I started to get into leadership and started, you start to understand why. Um, you know, the, the, the reality is, uh, in an organization this size, um, it is highly matrixed, um, on top of it being highly matrixed. It's also, you know, it's, we don't just sell one solution. We don't have just one division. You know, we have multiple reps, multiple, you know, multiple reps selling multiple solutions, divisions, um, selling specific products, divisions selling multiple products. So, you know, the, the consistency, and process has to be there and, and, and the leadership, uh, leadership courage 
to drive adoption has to be there and accountability. So it's, it's, you know, the, the, the leadership base in a company this size, if you don't have a strong leadership base that can do those things, you're going to be sunk. Hmm. Totally get it. So as I listen to you and I'm, I've, I've been burning up another notepad here. I, I love, I, someday I'm going to write, a, I'm going to write a book from all these guys like you that are so like so much depth and I've learned so much. Um, the first thing when I look at, when you say what's led your success, you brought up many times process, 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 consistency, consistency, mm-hmm. consistency. It, it, what I've taken from this, and I want to, I want to ask you this question, make sure I didn't hear you wrong, Jason. The process consistency is what actually allows your leaders to individualize it because you have strong process. It makes it easier for them to individualize how you help an individual improve. Did, did I interpret that right? Or did I miss that? No, that's correct. That's correct. I mean, it, it, you have to set, you have to set the parameters in which your organization is going to operate within. And those parameters better be relevant and they better add value to the sales process and to the, the ultimate goal of your, of your people. So yeah, that's exactly what it is. Um, you know, it, it and it, yeah, process is the key to all of this. Okay. So if that's the first thing on your blueprint, if it's the, the Jason Santana blueprint for high growth success, it starts with leadership. You've, you've dropped a bunch of other cool things like, you know, uh, sympathize instead of empathize and this courage to, to make sure that they adopt any of the things that are on your blueprint after process. I don't want to just like start being hodgepodge, but if you're saying my top two, three, four things after process, what, what does a leader say needs to be on my blueprint if I want to have high growth as well? I think the ability to manage deal velocity is by far one of the most critical components of high growth sales. All right. If you can't, yeah, if you no, can't manage no. deal velocity, Go baby, go. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so it, it, the process is one thing, but it's, it's, it's really the, the velocity by which you move through those stages of the sale with a particular deal that is the most critical. And the reason I say that is because it sounds simple when we say, Oh yeah, just manage the deal velocity. Sounds simple. Problem is deal velocity is impacted by a multitude of, confound, of confounding factors, right? The more complex a solution or product, the more complex the factors, you know? So, so if you, if you understand, you know, you know, kind of, I guess the best way to explain it, Rob, is to think of traffic, right? Okay. I yeah. am, uh, on top, on top of being a sales, uh, nerd, I'm also kind of a, uh, a mathematics nerd. So, and, and mostly, mostly calculus and, and, and complex problems like traffic, right? Okay. Traffic flow theory is, is the best analogy I have for deal velocity. Because when you look at traffic flow theory, it's the study between, you know, the interactions between travelers and infrastructure. And the goal of developing optimal, optimal movement of traffic and minimize congestion. So if you just think of it that way, you know, the best way to, to increase velocity of, of vehicles moving in a, in a singular direction is to minimize, you know, um, you know, the, the, you know, the congestion, you know, the, the points of congestion. Cause it's really weird, really. And, you know, when you think about it, and this, this, I can go on forever on this topic, but when you look at, you know, if you thought of a deal, as a traveler and infrastructure as the components of your sales process. Cause the thing is this a sales process uh, tends to be linear in nature, but yes, yes. Uh, cause there's a nat- there's, yeah, cause there's a natural order to it. The problem is the factors that you're involved with uh, impact the outcomes. And at times, you know, they're nonlinear people because because it, it's human behavior. Humans are not linear in their thought process. So it's unpredictable, just like traffic, right? An accident, someone slows down, 
five miles an hour, a mile and a half up the road, you're at a, you're at a standstill, you know, five to 10 miles below behind that, right? Cause the point of congestion has basically stopped the process. So I think that's kind of how I look at it. And it's, it's, it's interesting. So when you look at it, try to identify what are your points of congestion? What are the controllable aspects of your sales process that allow for free flowing, uninterrupted deal flow? If you can achieve that and you could remove those roadblocks and remove those points of congestion and deals can flow freely, you compress the sales cycle. If you compress the sales cycle, they close quicker. They get it back out there in front of someone else faster. They close more. They win more. Everyone wins. So I'm pumped that you went here. Um, you've told me before that you've had a lot of success in helping people do this. You know, you know that uh, uh, me, uh, I'm a sales leader. You know, my company is about sales coaching and we talk about tuning the engine and, and we look at the sales equation that you and me both know well. It's opportunities. It's average deal size. It's win rate and it's sales velocity. And everybody mm-hmm. always says, Rob, how do you coach deal velocity? It's my number one most biggest question. I have thoughts on it. You just told, blown my mind a little bit. I'm picking my jaw up off my desk right now with the whole traffic theory. Super, super insightful, by the way. Um, any kind of tips again? So if you're, if we got people that are asking this question all the time, deal velocity, deal velocity and win rates are the two that everybody asks me about the most. By the way, I think they're the most impactful, just like you. Mm-hmm. And, um, so if someone wants to get into the world of coaching velocity, what do you say? These are a couple of things you ought to be thinking about. I think it's, um, <clears throat> it's taking a hard look, you know, so taking a hard look at where the breakdowns exist in your sales process and where are the points of congestion. So the only way to know that is to, you know, back to our carrying the bag concept or getting out in the field and understanding where they are is you have to spend time with your reps and understand where their frustration points are. So whether you want to do it in person, if you want to create some sort of a, um, you know, suggestion box, virtual suggestion box or idea box, you need to communicate clearly with your sales reps and understand where their points of frustration, congestion, and breakdown occur. And if you understand that, you can then engineer the sales process to eliminate those roadblocks, decrease that congestion point, and increase their ability to move freely through the sales process. So good. So good, man. I love it. You're talking dirty to me right now, Jace. Um, <laughs> um, um, like I said, we really are getting out of time, and I always like to finish the same way, but I want to wrap up this topic. You talked about process, then you went to deal velocity. Is there just very quickly a, a final point for your blueprint if it was the Jason Santana blueprint of high-growth high, uh, high growth sales teams? Process? Yeah, I, I think. One last, you got one more. Anything else? Yeah, I would say – I would say. Um, it, it, well, I mean, there's a, I could go on and on and on. But this. you only um, get one, bro. You <laughs> only get one. <laughs> so, so uh, what did you say? I, I, I didn't hear what the you other did what process, the first two you had down there. Process, yep. process, process, and then velocity, yep. velocity, velocity. And like I said, if, if we could have a whole podcast just on your blueprint, I'm, I'm saying your top three top of mind things that should be non-negotiable. Yeah. Process, so, velocity, yeah. that's the third one. I would say a non-negotiable or not, not even a non-negotiable. I mean, I have plenty of non-negotiables, but the one thing I would say that, is, you know, for, to be a, to have to drive high performance sales organizations, you need to be able to manage and measure breadth of participation. Ooh. That is one thing like balanced performance is a critical component to sales success. You know, um, and I, and I think you probably know exactly what I'm saying. There are plenty of sales teams out there that hit their number 
with one or two or three highly successful reps. The 20 and essentially turn exactly and essentially turn the rest over year over year. Um, but the thing is for sustained success and, and to truly grow an organization and to have high growth, breadth of participation and balance, well, balance performance, which includes breadth of participation is one of the most critical components. That is money. Jason, I am bummed that we're out of time because I have three ways, two things we're going to finish with. I want to have you back on another time and I'd like to go deep on some of these things because you're getting into things that are exactly right. I'm with you. I believe that that 80, 20 rule that let people live for so long has to go away. And the companies mm-hmm. who are good, I think they'll build process will make it so you can't have velocity. Velocity will make it so as leaders, you can start getting into the world of if everyone's having intentional improvement and everyone's getting better, if our participation rate is growing, how can you not intentionally at Paychex or any other company have record performance if every single asset yeah. of the team is doing better than they've ever done? Am I saying that right? I agree. Yeah, 100%. Okay. We are, we're, we're, we're at the end of it, man, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to finish with the same two things that I always finish with. Uh, the first one is, what is the biggest leadership challenge you faced as a high-growth sales leader, and how did you attack it? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge uh, anyone will face, especially with uh, you know, if you're trying to impact change, um, is, is, is culture. Mm-hmm. You know, I think culture, is, culture is, is either the greatest asset, but can also be at times the greatest challenge. Um, and I think that any company you come into or any role you take on, there is a certain culture or way of doing things that you have to navigate. Um, and, and when you, and you, and when you go to implement the change, um, if, if it's, if you're not clearly communicating the value proposition, um, behind the change, um, and really getting, getting people to buy into that, I think that is the biggest challenge you will have, uh, trying to really drive, you know, trying to drive high growth trying to drive new process, trying to drive, um, you know, things that will ultimately, um, you know, improve the, the organization overall because people don't like change. Mm. So how do you track that then? I mean, that's, you're right. Almost every single person, you've talked about things that no one's talked about, but the things that everyone talks about, you've also brought that up. And culture is one that if you're a great sales leader, you know the importance of culture. And culture can either mm-hmm. save you or kill you. I love how you said it. Is there one thing that stands out to you? Because again, of time, we could go with a whole podcast sure. just on culture, brother. Is there one thing mm-hmm. that's like really important to get right in culture if you're going to have a high-performing team? Yeah. So I think I think the biggest component of of the culture shift, uh, any culture shift that needs to happen, is um, you know what we call a paycheck shadow of a leader, um, and it's really one of those things where you know having the leadership courage to stand in front of your group. And, 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 and truly explain the value proposition of something with conviction and passion um, because you believe in it and you are the leader. So the, the shadow you cast, whether for or against something, is the direction your people are going to go. So, you know, if you have a team of people who are focused on the unified mission of your company and the unified direction of your company and your leaders are, are unified there, um, the shadow they cast should ultimately drive adoption. If they don't truly cast the right shadow, they're not going to get the adoption they want. That is awesome. I love that. 
Okay, last question that we ask everyone. I can't wait to hear your answer because uh, mm -hmm. your whole way of looking at the world has just been a little different, and that's why I'm so stoked that you joined us for a few minutes today. Uh, what we've learned is the great high-growth leaders, they never stop wanting to learn. They're, 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 they're consumed with learning. And for many yeah. of them, leaders are readers. And we're building this awesome library of high-growth leader uh, books that are recommended. Anything you'd recommend that we add to the library? Yeah, it's really interesting. Mine, um, mine are probably a little different than most would be, but maybe not. I don't know. Why am I not um, surprised, so, uh, Jason? Why am I not surprised? <laughs> so, um, I think, uh, the three, the three books that, um, there's actually a couple, like three books that I would probably recommend every reader. I mean, every leader should read at some point. Uh, the first one is called Emotional Agility by Susan David. Uh, every leader needs to be emotionally agile. Um, you need to be able to, you know, you need to have agility in order to lead in, in the new, in the new world of sales. Um, yeah, the second would be Back to Human, uh, by Dan, Dan Schwabel. Uh, I think he's a Schwabel. I forget how to say his name. Um, great book it actually talks to the human connection and trying to connect with your employees in a way that, um, you know, in the, in this world of, of staring at screens, how do we re, how do we connect with people? Um, really great book for a leader to read. And then the last one, um, one of my absolute favorites is Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. I have not read any of them, and I am going to order all three of those as soon as we finish this episode. I can't wait to get my hands on them, man. Yeah, they're, they're, they're great books. Okay. This was fantastic. Jason, thank you so much for giving us a little bit of your time. Uh, on behalf of our thousands of listeners around the world, you know, we really appreciate uh, you sharing some of your insights on not just how to get into high growth mode, but how to stay there at scale. Is there a kind of a final parting thought you'd, you'd want to give to our leader, uh, to our leaders? And, and also as you do it, how do they get more of you? How do they, how do they follow you? I know you, you drop, you're pretty active in, in LinkedIn and places like that. How do they follow you? How do they get more about paychecks? Uh, how do they get more of what you're laying down? Yeah, I think, I think, um, you know, the, the, I guess my platform typically is uh, I do use LinkedIn um, as kind of my way to share ideas and share concepts. And, uh, I even, I've now started to even post, you know, the books I read every month. Uh, I get a lot of questions from people on, you know, what are you reading? So I, I started to, you know, publish out there. Uh, these are the books I've read this month. These are the next ones I have on tap kind of thing. Uh, I write a lot of articles on LinkedIn and, and share them uh, a lot of things around sales, uh, um, sales enablement, sales effectiveness, sales operations, and then overall kind of just sales growth and performance. So that's kind of, you know, that's where I'm, you know, I spend most of my time doing that stuff. So, okay. yeah. So find him on LinkedIn, hit him on LinkedIn. So it's Jason Santana uh, leading 3000 reps and 400 leaders. He's helping every one of those paychecks leaders cast a huge shadow of awesomeness across the whole enterprise. Jason, I hope everyone leaves today saying I got to figure out how to sympathize instead of empathize. And as they do, they can find ways to make this year that they're in the best year they've ever had without adding a lot of new stuff other than how do I engage differently with my people? Thanks, Jason. And happy selling. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate it. Hey everyone. Welcome to another. So what portion of the sales leadership podcast where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? 
And, and, and I thought that because we had a different kind of guest on today, I would introduce it a different kind of way. And so for Jason Santana, I hope you like that Santana music. Because he really does lead his his uh, team in a little bit different way. His, his background, I thought, made him such an interesting guest. A guy started in data science, was willing to go back and start from zero as a rep so he would have the ability to understand what it meant to be in that role and carry that bag and walk in those shoes, led to one of the greatest quotes we've had in our show history so far. Uh, he said that the great leaders are able to sympathize rather than focus on, focusing on empathize. And there's a lot of focus on empathy right now. And, and I loved his focus where he said, if you really know what they're living and you really know what they're doing, you don't have to empathize, you can sympathize. And I think he's right. People that can sympathize are far more effective in how they lead. So you ought to ask yourself, how good or how equipped am I in my ability to sympathize with the reps that are on the team that I lead? I, I really love everything about this. I mean, that, that was a great interview. And Jason, you can see why he's had so much success in a, in a really stellar career. And he's leading right now. He's, he's with one of the most killer sales teams in the country. Uh, Paychecks has been really featured as one of the top companies to sell for. I think in the selling power list, they're number three uh, in the world on the top sales teams to sell for. Uh, a big part of that is their culture. And he talked a lot about culture and how culture is either your greatest asset or your greatest challenge. And I think it's because it dictates if your team is change adverse or change ready. And it goes back to another thing that Jason talked about that he really focuses with their leaders on what kind of shadow do you cast. And I loved that. I ate that up. You guys, if you've been listening to me very long, you haven't, it's very possible you've heard me say, people are the world's greatest reflectors. I believe that everything, 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 everything comes down to leadership. If you like what you're seeing, look in the mirror. If you don't like what you're seeing, look in the mirror. Um, I, my experience has been that teams reflect their leadership. And so high-performing teams are going to reflect high-performing leader. Low-performing teams, quite often that reflects a low-performing leader. And so I think you really ought to think about as leaders, what kind of shadow do I cast? And am I able to sympathize or am I relying on empathy? Because I really bought that when he was selling that. His, his willingness to go and say, I'm going to learn how sales works by being a rep rather than just applying my data science. I pushed him on that early on. How do you how do you use data and still maintain personal connections? I loved his whole blueprint. You know, process leads to you know you better have courage, um, and by that what he meant was the courage to make the right decisions based on what your process is telling you. And then the final two pieces we just haven't heard people bring up, and this is why they're having so much success. You better be able to coach to sales velocity. And you'd better not just focus on hitting your number. You'd better focus on the percentage of people hitting goal. I've gotten a chance to know Jason a little bit, and that's not bullshit. It's not just talk. Those are things he's really doing, and it's why their company is having such great success. Those four things are great blueprints for every one of you to be thinking about. And coaching to velocity is hard. It takes you stopping and doing what he said, finding those checkpoints. It reminded me of that famous 80s video game, Pole Position. You hear the music and it's ready, set, go. And you're going from checkpoint to checkpoint. 
you got to get through in 60 seconds or whatever it was, and then you hit that checkpoint and you refuel and you go. And the question is, how fast can you go from checkpoint to checkpoint? And can you get there in the right amount of time with the right cadence? And his, his uh, example on traffic theory and, and saying that traffic theory is about managing congestion, use that same approach with, with coaching velocity for each individual. That's what I love about him. He uses data to really individualize. Data doesn't make people sterile. Data is what makes it so you can individualize with people. And I thought that was a huge eye-opener. We have a lot of leaders that say, oh, data is for the higher-ups. You know, I'm, I'm going to build this relationship with my reps. Your ability to push the how button, your ability to help a rep change and improve, comes down to how well can you individualize game plans based on what the data is saying, based on where their congestion and their traffic pattern is. So that, that's one of the reasons why I love what Jason's doing is great leaders are always going to be able to individualize. It's one of those uh, deadly sins of one-on-one coaching is we don't individualize well enough. Listen, when you get to a point that you're individualizing with a rep the right way, what you do is not ever micromanagement. What you do is not ever big brother watching. What you do is help people do their very best work. And when they do their very best work, they get to live their very best life. Uh, what we do for our profession and what we do for our lives, you don't separate those anymore. There's too much carryover. It's impossible to have a great life if you're not having a great career. You've got to do well in your profession so you can live that great life. And all of us want to help our reps have the best lives possible. Do it by helping them individually improve in ways that matters to them. I hope you enjoyed Jason's uh, view of how to become one of those great leaders that really helps us not just get into high growth mode, but stay there. Follow his blueprint and you'll connect with your reps in a very unique way. And what you'll find is that last part of his blueprint will be something that's massive for you. If every single rep on your team is getting intentionally better, you will have the best year you've ever had. I wish you happy selling in 2019. Thanks for tuning into the show. As always, continue to give us those great reviews. Let us know the other guests that we should have on the show. And as always, don't worry, just execute, and we got you. Happy Sunday. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant the modern sales leadership platform for Salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.